As we come to our text for today, as we mentioned earlier, it's in Peter's first epistle. At a famous text, a text we know well, one we quote often to speak about our hope through trials and tribulations. But I want us to think today about how central Peter says the resurrection is to that. As we do so, we're getting ready to go into the letter to the Hebrews. I'm excited about that. And uh, to begin back Matthew on Sunday night. So we're going to have a lot of uh, good studies hopefully moving forward. But there is something as we come to this text that is very much in continuity with what we've been studying. Because we've been in the Thessalonian letters. And if you think about the Thessalonian letters, here is a group of believers who are under persecution, struggling. And Paul tells them what? Understand the present by looking at the future. Look to what God is going to do for you. Now, he's already accomplished it, but you will receive it in the future as a way of understanding the present moment. Paul says that applies to everything that they're dealing with, including the lines that divide, right, which he says are an evident token of the righteous judgment of God. So even the divisions that you're facing, the enemies that you have, show you this eschatological line that is being drawn of those who stand with God and those who are at war against God. And so Paul says, as you deal with the persecutions, trials, and tribulations you have now, keep that perspective. That these are all things you must deal with now, but there is a great reward coming. Well, in a very similar way, Peter is writing to churches that are dealing with persecution, trials, and tribulations, difficulties. And he's telling them, don't lose hope. Don't get beat down. Don't get discouraged. Yes, things can be difficult. Things can be very difficult. But if you want to see the present in the proper perspective, look to the future. Now, one thing that Peter is very careful to say here is, even as we look to the future, we're really establishing that on what's already been accomplished. So in a strange way, Peter says, if you want to understand your present, look to your future by looking to what Christ has already accomplished for you at Calvary's cross. Now, my friends, as we think about that today, we need to understand that Peter here is telling us that we can base this future reality that's already true, we can base it on what Christ accomplished. Now, last week we looked at Christ's finished work on Calvary's cross. And, of course, that included uh, His incarnation, right? His perfect obedience, His sinless life, his atoning death. But Peter now says that the resurrection is a part of that, an essential part of that, and we're going to see that today. So as we get ready to go into the text, I want to read it again. I'm going to read a little longer section, and there's a reason for that. Um, Three through nine is really cheating a little bit, because in the Greek, three through twelve is one sentence. You know how Paul likes really long sentences. Peter occasionally likes them as well. And so, uh, but we really want to focus on the dynamic of what Peter is trying to argue based on their uh, current tribulation and the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. So let's read the, the full sentence that Peter writes in the Greek. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering these things, which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now, as I said, we're going to focus really on 3 through 9 today. But those other verses in our English text are important because Peter's reminding that this is not something God just kind of swung a bee path toward, right? This is something that has been God's plan from the beginning. All these things are what the prophets were speaking of and that God was using them to prepare the way, if you will, that uh, in this day it could all be revealed. And so we come to the text today, and I want us to think about three points as we look at these verses in 1 Peter. First of all, a living hope. And these are three great and glorious gifts that we receive in Christ, according to Peter. A living hope. A living hope. Second of all, an incorruptible inheritance. And thirdly, a powerful security. So, it's interesting, we begin this text by looking at a living hope. Uh, Peter begins the part that we're looking at today with this great blessing and offering of thanksgiving to God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a great way to start always, isn't it? By blessing our Heavenly Father. God our Father uh, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may remember that Paul begins Ephesians in this same way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Again, very similar wording. This tells us it's a very good way to begin our prayers, our writings, whatever we're doing. It's a good way to begin. When you've got Peter and Paul in agreement that this is a really good way to offer thanksgiving to God. And that's what Peter does here. He blesses our Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he's blessing him for. Much like Paul in Ephesians, for his abundant mercy. God's great grace. He says it's in this abundant mercy, this spectacular mercy, this unfathomable mercy, this grace that is so great it's incomprehensible to us. He says through this great mercy he has done something. He has begotten us again to a living hope. Begottenness again. Now, in the Greek, this idea of begottenness again is, can be translated born again or uh, to be reborn, if you will. So he's saying more or less he's resurrected us to new life, if you will, in this living hope. 
a living hope. A very important concept here. In fact, I titled the sermon that because I think as you think about what Peter is talking to these believers about, it's that they have a living hope. They need a living hope. Now, to need a living hope and not have one will be tragic. But they need a living hope, and they've received one in Christ Jesus. And that's what he says. Our abundantly merciful God has begotten us again to a living hope. Now, how is that? How is that accomplished? Well, Peter tells you. He says that according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we spoke about this last Sunday. right? The cross, at the moment of the cross, is all that matters. If Christ came into the world in the incarnation, lived a sinless life, did not go and and die an atoning death as a curse on our behalf, taking the wrath of God, if you will, the punishment for sin for us, then we're without hope. But if He stayed in the grave, we're also without hope. That's what Peter's getting at here. So for Jesus to say on the cross, it is finished, He means the atonement has been made. But for us to have the hope of resurrected life in Christ he has to show that he's conquered the grave. So Peter says we have, are delivered or born again to a living hope through this resurrection. We have a hope that transcends even our lifetime because we stand in Christ who himself rose from the dead. All of what Peter is saying in this sentence is contingent upon Christ rising from the dead. This is no secondary doctrine. We know that. We can clearly say that if you don't believe in the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of Christ, you're not a Christian. It's essential to being a Christian that you believe that Christ rose from the dead. There is no hope outside of it. It's just vain knowledge outside of that. Or as many people try to do, extract the moral teachings of Jesus. Well, you can be a moralist, but you're still dead in your sin. Outside of Christ's resurrection, His atoning death, His triumph over the grave, there is no hope. Peter is making that clear. How do we have a living hope? We have a living hope because Christ conquered the grave. It could not hold Him. It could not keep Him. So he says, we have this living hope. Now notice, he calls it a living hope. A lively hope, I think in some translations, but a living hope. A hope that is very much alive. Not a dead hope. This is not some mere religiosity or or philosophy. This is reality. It's a hope that is living. It is true. A living hope. It transforms people. It transforms situations. Now here Peter is talking to believers. He's writing believers who are encountering some degree of suffering for their faith. We've been reading a lot about believers like that the last year. And as we go into Hebrews, we're going to read more about believers like that. Believers who are under so much persecution that there's a temptation to leave the faith. Now, maybe they say, well, we're still secretly Christians, but it's a lot more comfortable to declare ourselves Jews, to give up the name of Christ. My friends, there's a strict warning in that, isn't there? In that letter, we're giving you the Cliff's Notes ahead of time. Not to do that. To recognize that once you've tasted the fullness of Christ, there's no going back. There is no comfortable place back. That'd be like uh, the Israelites saying, it'd be better for us to stay in Egypt than to be brought into the desert to die here. 
So my friends, again, these believers are dealing with some difficult suffering for their faith. But he tells them, as we said earlier, to frame it in light of this future promise that they have, this reality that they have in Christ Jesus. Now, what's interesting is, is when you think about this, he says, when you understand the mercy of God and the living hope he's given us, then you can deal with these difficulties. You might think of this much the same way that Paul did uh, when Paul said that these, he, he, when he thought about the eternal weight of glory that's in store for us, then he said in comparison to that, these afflictions seem temporary and light. I think that's what Peter's trying to say. Now, it doesn't mean they're easy to go through, but he means you have to keep the perspective of the glories that we have in Christ, the perspective of all that we are going to receive in our glorification, and then these things do look temporary and light. And to set the stage for that, he tries to tell them to think about it in just this way, that what God has done in Christ Jesus for you turns these afflictions that we deal with day by day, turns them no longer in an opportunity to destroy your faith, but he said it transforms them in a way God uses to refine your faith and strengthen your faith. Now that's really the point of what Paul is, excuse me, Peter is getting at in 6 through 9. Though for now you go through these trials and tribulations, recognize that just as gold is put into the fire to purify it. We've spoken about that. As they put gold into the fire, the impurities rise to the top, they scrape them off, and then as it resets and hardens, as it cools, it's a purer gold. In the same way, if you keep your eyes on what we have in Christ Jesus then you realize that going through these trials and tribulations are not crushing to you, but they're refining for you. That God uses them to refine your faith, to learn to trust in Him more, to grow in your faith. So Paul says, excuse me, Peter says, when you have that perspective, then you can make it through these difficult times. And I also should say that when he's speaking about hope, he doesn't mean hope as the world means hope. We speak of hope as something that we really wish will happen. That's not what the Bible means when it says hope. The Bible means something that must happen, something that assuredly will happen. We're just waiting for it to happen. Peter says, there is no doubt in Christ Jesus you shall be glorified. You just have to wait. You've been justified. You're being sanctified. Glorification is without question. It's without doubt. But hold on to that hope. Trust in it. Walk with it. Suffer even through it. Recognizing that one day all these things will be fully fulfilled. Fully fulfilled in Christ Jesus for all who believe in Him. So my friends, this living hope is important. And it's not merely something Peter's telling others about. This is something Peter himself has experienced. You know, it's like when you think about uh, Paul. Paul could tell others, you know, uh, persevere on. Keep going even through trial and tribulation. But my friends, nobody set that example better than Paul. You can just read there in 2 Corinthians all that Paul had been through. He said, but I keep moving, I keep going, I keep serving. Because I want to bring glory to Christ, bring His name to new places, and I have a great concern for all the churches. That was what motivated Paul. But Peter also has a testimony, doesn't he? You look at the gospel. 
Look at Peter in those gospel accounts when Christ has been crucified. Peter melts away. Denies Christ. Disappears. He's not this mountain of a man. He's not this lion of a proclaimer of the gospel at that moment. But my friends, Peter changes, doesn't he? See, Peter has this living hope by the time you come to Acts and you go, who is this man giving this Pentecost sermon? Who is this man standing in the Sanhedrin and just saying, listen, we hear what you're saying, but it would cause us to be disobedient to Christ, so we're not going to listen to you. My friends, that lion of a man is a man who's found this living hope, been transformed by the power of God, who recognizes the very truths he's teaching others here. This lion of a man is a man who himself has encountered this living hope and who wants to instruct these other believers who are in difficult situations that they need to hold on and trust in Christ, that they too have a living hope. So that's important. But it's not the only thing that Peter tells them about here. If you continue into verse 4, he says that, well, I'm going to start back in verse 3. He's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to what? An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. I don't know how Paul can, excuse me, Peter can, can hammer down on that any stronger and say this is yours. In Christ Jesus, this is yours. You're not wishing to have it. You have it in Christ Jesus, this inheritance. Now, he says that this living hope secures this for us. An inheritance. An inheritance. An incorruptible inheritance. Undefiled. Cannot fade away. Now, you could take a lot from that. But he also says reserved for us. Now, reserved is supposed to mean something, isn't it? If you reserve a table at a restaurant and when you get there it's not reserved you're usually upset because you're like, it was supposed to be held for me. You don't have to worry, Peter's saying, if your inheritance will be reserved. If God has said it's reserved, it will be reserved for all those in Christ Jesus. And notice what he's talking about here. An inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled. This gives you very much the idea of what Christ said when he said, store up your treasure in heaven. There aren't any moths there that are going to eat it. There aren't any thieves that are going to break in and steal it. Right? Store up your treasure there. Peter says, thank goodness our true reward is stored up there where it can't be taken from us. Because whatever you have in this world, it can be taken from you. It can be. We know that. But what is there and promised to us by God can never be taken away. And so my friends... Again, we see this. It's interesting that he talks about inheritance. Now, I think he's really pointing here to our salvation. That's what he's talking about. But there is an inheritance that surrounds that, isn't there? There is an inheritance that is tied to that. You can imagine how important this is to the believers there that, that Peter is writing to, the juxtaposition of what they're dealing with as they encounter persecution and loss. You feel hopeless? No. You've been given a living hope by Christ's resurrection. You feel disowned by your family for Christ's sake? My friends, you've been adopted into the family of God. 
You've lost your job, your finances because of your faith. You have an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. My friends, I don't think uh, that Peter is overly pointing to uh, the, the idea here of all the riches that we have in terms of um, you know, possessions or whatever in Christ Jesus. But I do think Paul in Romans 8 wants us to think about those things too, doesn't he? Because he asks us in Romans chapter 8, what shall we have, those of us who are sons of God? He says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. As we said when we went through Romans, that means everything is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not a health and wealth gospel because we're not promised it here. Peter clearly is saying, you're not promised it here and now. But my friends, you are promised glories unimaginable in Christ Jesus for all eternity. And so, my friends, we have been given a living hope and an incorruptible inheritance in Christ Jesus. And these are meant to be words of comfort, aren't they? But what comfort would they be if they could be taken from us? If they could be snatched away, seized. Or if maybe God just changes his mind tomorrow. He says, you know, I kind of like that Rick Powell guy, but I've decided now, today, nope, he's, he's done. Now, my friends, that might seem silly to us, but not to the Greeks and the Romans. Their gods were capricious. One day you could have the favor of Zeus. One day you could have the favor of one of their gods. And the next day they decide they hate you. Write you off. Decide that they're going to do everything they can to destroy you. Peter says, my friends, that's not anything like the God we serve. Who is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's the same. He keeps His word. He keeps His promises. He is utterly faithful. And my friends, if He has promised this to you, it cannot be taken away. It's amazing how often as I was preparing this, I was thinking, man, we could just go to Romans 8 as a parallel passage. But over and over again here, you see it. What's Paul's argument there? Those that God has uh, justified, He will glorify. There is no way to have a a, a B-path by which you get cast away. All those who truly trust in Christ shall be glorified. Peter says the same thing here. That you are kept by the power of God. Kept. A security. A powerful security. Now, I want to say this. This was written likely in the early 60s, before Nero came to power and there was this kind of huge governmental persecution. But there was localized persecution in Asia Minor. In Turkey, that's likely where this uh, is all taking place. And in the time frame, it's all taking place. And in this moment... What Peter is trying to tell them is, listen, the world can change very quickly. I was leaving the church last night, and a guy was walking his dog who I haven't seen in a long time, and we started talking for a few minutes, and he said to me, he said, I can't even put into words how much the world has changed in the last 20 years. And many of us sense that, that the world has changed greatly in 20 years. But my friends, Peter is saying no matter how much the world changes, what we have in Christ is unchangeable. It's rock solid. It is ours. It is reserved. It is kept by the power of God. Now as you think about this, this goes in accord with what the Scriptures tell us over and over again. In fact, when you look at uh, what Peter actually says here, he says that we are kept by the power of God through faith. Now, 
Um, scholars are having to kind of break this down because it's an interesting wording, but it seems to be what Peter is saying is, faith we know is the key, but even our faith is kept by the power of God. And so, my friends, what he's saying here is, if you are truly in Christ Jesus, these challenges that come, they may rock you, they may test you, they may try you. But my friends, at the end of the day, all they can do is really strengthen your faith. And when you have that perspective, it changes how you look at trials and tribulations. You can no longer look at them as something devastating. But you can look at them as, wonder how God is going to work on me through this. Now, my friends, that's a perspective that Peter is encouraging these Christians to have. It's not an easy perspective. It's totally at odds with the way we think in the world. But Peter says, grow in your faith and your trust of Christ. Think about these things and recognize how God is working through them. Now, to think once more about this thing that he's saying in verse 5, we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed. Now, this is just in accord with everything else that's said in Scripture. Jesus says that they cannot snatch us out of His hand. If we are His, we are His. Let's see, where else can we go for a parallel passage? Oh, yeah, Romans 8 again. Right? What can separate us from the love of God? Now, he goes through a long list, not height nor depth, right? All these things. But, in essence, what he's saying is nothing can. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we are His, we are His. And we ought to be thankful for that. Because he's saying we have a powerful security. Paul wrote in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. If we are His, we are His. If we've been purchased... By Christ's blood, my friends, the sale is final. The sale is final. This living hope is a true living hope because it cannot die. It cannot be taken from born again, blood purchased believers in Christ. It is secured and kept by the power of God. My friends, many of us sense that as we go on in our Christian walk, our sanctification, we realize at some point we're not holding on to God. He's holding on to us. I think about all the different paths I would have slipped down. And so, my friends, I'm thankful for the truth that Peter is giving us here. It's amazing to think that he's telling these believers that when you have that perspective, these trials and tribulations that can seem overwhelming, and let's face it, they can. We're not dealing with the same things they're dealing with, but many people deal with trials and difficulties. Difficult things that we hope would never happen or come into our lives. And yet what he's saying is, when you recognize that in Christ Jesus we have this security, we have this, uh, this place reserved, this inheritance reserved, this living hope, then he says trials and tribulations are transformed into things that transform us, strengthen us, refine us like gold. Now, my friends, I am not arguing that we look forward to trials or tribulations or difficulties. But as we go through them, we can recognize how they can be used for good. Even if it's hard to see in the moment, these believers are being put in a position where we're going to see, right, who is the weed and who is the chaff. 
Some of the people who claim to be believers in these churches might melt away when the persecution comes. Well, it's not that they lost their faith so much as they never had faith in Christ. Isn't that what John says? They went out from us. They were never really a part of us. Shown that they weren't a part of us in their going out from us. My friends, again, we need to recognize the importance of this. And it's all based on the resurrection of Christ. The hope that we're given as we look to Christ and recognize the reality of what we've been given in Him, that this is no fiction. Peter says, I saw these things. Paul too saw the risen Christ, but if that's not enough, in 1 Corinthians 15 he goes, I'll give you a whole long list of witnesses. Go interview them if you want to. They saw these things. Peter and Paul and all these apostles went to their death. I'll tell you this, uh, I'm not one to deal in apologetics much up here, but I'm always mindful of what Blaise Pascal said. He said, It is a truth that many men go to their deaths for a lie, but few men go to their deaths knowing it's for a lie. He said, To believe that these things did not happen as recorded means that you have to believe every one of those apostles went to torturous deaths knowing it was all a lie. My friends, when you think about this, Peter says we have a living hope that we can testify to because we've seen these things. We saw the risen Christ. And you haven't seen Him, but yet you still love Him and trust in Him. My friends, then if you do, recognize what you have in Him. Recognize the living hope to which you've been born again. This living hope. Recognize the inheritance incorruptible you have in Christ Jesus. And recognize that you are kept by the power of God. No local enemy angry over your faith in Christ can take that away from you. If you are Christ, you are His. My friends, as we think about this Easter Sunday, let's give thanksgiving to God who made all that possible.